Hello and welcome to ESPN Cricket for Stump Mike. I'm Karthik Iyer and this week on the pod, we celebrate one of Pakistan cricket's finest days. Three years ago, a white-jacketed Sarfaraz Ahmed lifted the Champions Trophy as Pakistan added a third to their collection of limited overs ICC titles. We look back to when Fakhar, Hafiz and Amir helped beat mighty India at the Oval. But first, we catch up with a bit of news from Pakistan after what has been a busy few days for Mizbah and his charges. So we begin this week's stump mic in Lahore and we have with us Daniel Rasool. Daniel, how's it going, man? Uh, not too bad. I'm fine. How about you? All good here. Thanks. You've had a pretty busy week though with Pakistan squads to England being announced and a surprise inclusion as well and a few players opting out of the tour. Yeah, especially given um, COVID-19 standards when every day is a slow news day um, in terms of sport. Yeah, it was a fairly busy week. So Pakistan, um, this the fact that this tour goes ahead or looks like it's going to go ahead is a big deal in itself because obviously um, uh, there was great uncertainty. Pakistan's tour of Ireland and the Netherlands, both of those got cancelled. So when there was confirmation that this would go ahead, there was still a hitch because uh, last week Pakistan announced that the training camps that they wanted to hold, they would not be able to hold those in Pakistan because the spread of the virus was such that it wasn't sustainable. It wasn't They weren't able to um, quarantine players in hotels effectively enough. So what they're going to do now is get to the UK four or five weeks in advance and hold their camps there. Um, but before that, obviously, they had to announce their squads. And what they're doing is they're taking a bunch of players together who are going to stay with the team throughout the test leg and the T20 leg. So they've announced 29 players who theoretically all 29 are available for both formats. But obviously, um, how realistic it is that certain players will play in a particular format that remains to be seen and that um, varies with each player. 29, that must be some record for the largest squad ever announced for a series. Even in the olden days when they used to travel by ships, it can't have been more than more than yeah, 29. I mean, when, when, when you think of it, um, World Cup preliminary squads are 30 players. So this is pretty <laughs> much a World Cup preliminary squad that they don't have to cut out of. So technically, they have 29 players available for three test matches and three T20s. Nice. So what, what's the big stories in the squads? I mean, Sarfaraz is back. Yeah, Sarfaraz is back. That is... That is a big story in a sense. Uh, Pakistan sought to downplay it. What they, what Mispar tried to say was, look, Sarfraz is still in our top two wicket keepers and the idea that we wouldn't take him in a squad of 29 is still absurd. We haven't moved on from him. We just thought that uh, um, his form wasn't sustainable enough for him to be captain and Rizwan was knocking at the door. So Sarfraz is back. Um, Pakistan don't seem to think it's big news and Mispar was quite clear that he would be a backup player in Definitely in the tests. Uh, it remains to be seen whether that's the case in T20s as well. The other big story is uh, Heather Ali, um, uh, young player, uh, did well in the PSL, scored a couple of half centuries. Um, uh, he was and scored a half century, of course, in the Pakistan-India game at the Under-19 World Cup. Um, uh, he was called up to the side. He's the only young, exciting player that Pakistan haven't really seen too much of in, at international level who was called up. Other than that, it's basically the sort of squad you'd expect a person like Misbah to announce. Not too many surprises, not too many risks, but a stable, reasonably reassuring squad. That, you know, Misbah has actually been quite unpredictable with his squads. He's chose a very young squad for the Australia to call back Omar Akmal for Sri Lanka. But this time it's a more stable, more predictable uh, side. Is uh, Heather Ali the one who, Ian Bishop, if I remember correctly, said that he reminded him of Babar Azam and Babar Azam's cover drives? 
Yes, yes. So Heather Ali, um, that's the thing. Heather Ali did uh, was the was the was one player alongside Rohail Nazir who did well in that very very one-sided semi-final, um, which Pakistan lost by ten wickets. But Ian Bishop, um, uh, thought very highly of him. And the thing is, after that at the PSL when he was picked, there was, um, there was a bit of skepticism about. Uh, about how well he'd do in that format, but he's, he he did reasonably well. I think he scored, other than the fact that he scored a couple of 50s, he had a few 30s, 40s, he scored a really good 69 or 44 balls, I think, in a crucial match against um, uh, the um, the Lahore Calandas. So um, he, he seems to have the right temperament, and he's still so young. I just think um, one thing Mohammed Wasim once said was, in Pakistan, sometimes if you're picked too young and you get found out, you have a really difficult time breaking your way back into the side. And that has been a problem for Pakistan. I hope that doesn't happen to Heather. And I hope too many expectations aren't placed on him too early. But I, I can't wait to see um, uh, how he does in England. Although, Daniel, there are a couple of players who won't be making the trip to England. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, one of them is Mohamed Amir. Um, his, the reasons uh, are straightforward enough. He is His wife is expecting um, the birth of their second child in August. And he would not have been able to take time off the side and go visit that, the, his family because of quarantine rules and the fact that the players have to stay in a bubble. So um, there's him. And then there's Harris Sohail. That one's slightly more interesting because the PCB bungled up the communication around why he wasn't going to be frank. Um, initially, they said it was for family reasons. And uh, later it turned out it was simply because his family wasn't comfortable with the current coronavirus situation but the thing is the reason this was a particularly uncomfortable um miscommunication to happen was for Harris Sohail family reasons mean a very particular thing he has been reluctant to travel without his family um uh, overseas usually and he was given special dispensation to be uh, to have his family with him for the world cup in England last year and so a lot of people assumed it was for those reasons that uh, Harris Sohail wasn't going and uh, I think he was Quite understandably, um, I think he wasn't too happy with initially the impression that had been given. And then later the PCB clarified that it was simply because of the current coronavirus restrictions and his family wasn't comfortable with it. So, yeah, those two players won't be going and uh, the rest of the squad, yeah, is good to go. Speaking of Mohamed Amir, he's going to be one of the main protagonists of our main story this week, which is a look back at the Champions Trophy final from 2017. The moment you mention it, you can see Daniel's eyes just widen and the smile and the smile come on his face. You know that it's it's, it's brilliant to see. But then one more thing before we get to that, what what's this we're reading about Wahab and him coming back and playing the longest format of the game? Yeah, so um, the understanding initially was a few months ago that Pakistan had moved on and Wahab had moved on from the longest form form of the game, um, and he wouldn't be playing that anymore. There was the, there was a belief that since Amir had announced his retirement, and if I'm not wrong, Wahab had said he was walking away as well. But now, um, because of this unique situation that Pakistan find themselves in, when Wahab was fronted up for a video press conference a couple of days ago. He was completely fine about the possibility of maybe playing uh, the test. And he said, if Pakistan wants me to play, then I'll play. And it's not impossible that Pakistan might call upon him. Wahab, I've said this before, has been a bit of a safety crutch for Pakistan. Um, when they feel like things are really going badly, they think, oh, we need to get Wahab back when he's on. He can bowl at over 90 miles an hour. He can swing the ball. Remember that spell to Watson and things like that. And Pakistan seem to think, oh, if we have Wahab back and if he's at his best, 
maybe we can do something with it. And the reason for that is Pakistan haven't had a really successful last 10 years when it comes to fast bowlers in test cricket. Since uh, Muhammad Amir and since that famous Lord's Test, Muhammad Amir, Asif, Wabang, um, Wahab has actually been the top highest, most prolific wicket taker in the last 10 years with 76 wickets. You would expect a Pakistani fast bowler would have more in 10 years. But yeah, so Wahab has, even though he's played inconsistently, been the most effective bowler and most consistent bowler for Pakistan when he does play. So it's not surprising that in times of a crisis, and this is a crisis, Pakistan would like to have the option of Wahab at least. Mm-hmm. So, but enough now about Pakistan in 2020. We're going to go back to Pakistan in 2017. A lot of the players are the same, I must say, as we look back at the Champions Trophy final, India versus Pakistan. So joining Daniel to look back at the 2017 Champions Trophy final is someone who was there in England and in the stadium, Saurabh Somani, for the first time in lockdown on Stump Mike. Welcome, Saurabh. Thank you, Karthik. Good to be here. How has it been? How's the lockdown been for you at home in Bangalore? I've been uh, pining for office, which <laughs> has never happened before, but yeah. <laughs> And also joining uh, Saurabh and Daniel here is someone who has given me and you, listener, a lot of company during this lockdown is Gaurav Sundaraman. Gaurav, you know what? I wanted to actually do this episode as a retro live, but then I realized the 2017 final, there's nothing retro about it, is there? <laughs> yeah, uh, but it was a memorable final, I think, in in a lot of, lot of ways because of the whole journey of Pakistan and uh, the so much so much happened in that game uh, especially those uh, uh, two deliveries from Mohammad Amir lost to talk about and it's not uh, uh, it's a match which uh, definitely not get uh, does not get talked about as much as other India Pakistan matches but anyway that, that that's why Dan, Daniel has been waiting for this opportunity to get, uh, gets talked him. about a lot here <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah so for we will do this on stump mic today but then Saurabh, you were there, you were covering the tournament for Wisden, am I correct? Yes, that's right. Going into the final, now we know the record of India and Pakistan in these ICC tournaments. I think, for, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, going into that match, India had beaten Pakistan 13 times out of 15 they had faced in an ICC tournament, be it the Champions Trophy, the World Cup or the World T20. But there was some precedence there for what was to follow because Pakistan's only two wins over India came in Champions Trophies in 2004 and 2009. True, yeah, they did. But even, uh, you know, with that, that was sort of ancient history uh, in the 2017 final because going into that final, India were like this huge uh, form team, the the juggernaut that that could not be stopped. And Pakistan, uh, of course, they, they won it now. But at the start of the Champions Trophy, it was... You know, almost as if uh, touch and go, whether they would even make it. And then they had all these controversies at the, at the start. And like, frankly, to see them reach the semi-final, nobody would have predicted. Final, even less. And uh, so, even though that history was there, uh, I, I don't think anyone seriously uh, expected Pakistan to win in the way they did. Uh, uh-huh. With that kind of margin. Um, and... Obviously, India was everybody's favorite in terms of being the stronger team. Yeah, yeah, that 15th meeting that I was talking about was in that tournament itself. 
Daniel, you obviously, I'm sure you remember the game. Saurav, you may have been there at the game as well. Was it as interesting? It was, no? Where India thrashed Pakistan in the group stages of that Champions Trophy. It was. It, it was at Edgebaston. I was there for that one also. And uh, I mean, that one was like a big win for India. But there were, I felt, two, three key moments in which, you know, it turned from a close win into a big win. And if those two, three moments had gone Pakistan's way, who knows what would have happened. I think like Yuvraj, who ended up being the man of the match, was dropped early on. And... Uh, you know, uh, Hardik Pandya came in at the end and just hit three sixes of three balls, which you don't really, you know, uh, budget for. <laughs> and then there was rain in the middle and it was shortened. And uh, Rohit uh, played a very uh, sort of uncharacteristic innings in the sense he started slowly, but typically Rohit, when he start, always starts slowly and then the sixes just rain down and he catches up, right? And and that didn't happen in that match. And he stayed for a, quite a long time. So I felt like India lost a bit of momentum there. But eventually, Yuvraj got dropped and then he just started smashing it. Uh, Kohli was Kohli in that match. He was uh, quite uh, in control and quite outstanding. So there were all these things that happened. And then Pakistan's batting order faced with that big Indian total, uh, I think it was some 320 or something in 48 overs. And uh, well, that was too much for Pakistan's batting order. So, Daniel, as Saurabh mentions, uh, India were the juggernaut of that tournament. They were heading in as as, as favourites. Was that the feeling in Pakistan as well? I, especially having lost that group stage game and getting through to the semi-finals. And, but then, again, once again, when you meet India at the finals, it's like, here we go again. Yeah, I think... I think by the time the final came around, there was a bit of weary, um, there was this weary expectation that India, when India and Pakistan play and both sides really, really want to win the game, in the last 10 or 15 years, what's happened is India win that match. If you look at the wins that Pakistan have had, even in the Champions Trophy, they've come in a couple of group stage games in 2004 and 2009, even though the precedent, as you say, was there, and in Pakistan, They've never really viewed the Champions Trophy as a tournament where they've been jinxed by India. They view the World T20 and the World Cup as World Cups. And Pakistan have never beaten India at World Cups. The fact that they beat um, India in 2004 in a a close final uh, over finish, I think it was, made them think, okay, this isn't that kind of tournament technically. So I think there wasn't that sort of expectation where they wouldn't do well just because it was a world event. It was just that by then, India was such a better team and is such a better team than Pakistan. And the fact that they would outclassed Pakistan in the group stages in a match, you've seen that kind of match now in the last four or five years. That's what happens when India play Pakistan. India, when they back first, um, uh, two of the top three do very well and the, the India run away with the game. They post a 300 plus total. It happened in the 2015 World Cup. It happened at the 2019 World Cup, it happened in the group stages of the 2017 Champions Trophy. And then Pakistan simply don't have the capability to chase at that um, level. And if you remember the Champions Trophy final, even before that famous Bumrah no ball, um, Pakistan started very tentatively. They didn't look good. Um, the first four overs, I think they scored seven runs. Uh, they were tentative. They were touchy. The occasion was getting to them. And then they caught that lucky break with the no ball. And then a lot of in the first 15 overs, a lot of the breaks were in Pakistan's way. And they just continued to ride a wave that everyone thought it's going to stop at some point. And it didn't. It was it was mm. surreal, but it was also quite unrepresentative of how India-Pakistan mm. has been over the past decade. Gaurav, before we get into the final, though, a word on the semi-finals. A, did you expect it to be so one-sided, being England versus Pakistan and India versus Bangladesh? 
it's a good question so especially england were also one of the favorites you know it was held in england and we, a lot of us don't talk about that the fact that it was held in england they were playing their uh, new style and they were supposed to win that uh, tournament or at least england india was, was supposed to be the final which everybody expected mm-hmm. and and the fact that pakistan were chasing uh, like danyal said uh, generally uh, historically they've not been great chasers and uh, the matches they won against india even in the 90s mostly were those which they batted first and uh, which is why like for example in the 2019 world cup when pakistan chose to chase it was uh, I, i just couldn't understand what was the logic behind it so a uh, toss was crucial but especially in the uh, semi finals against england they were chasing and um, i i don't think anybody gave uh, uh, pakistan any chance and the fact that they won so convincingly uh in the semi final was a, a huge shock and a huge surprise and then people started talking that okay pakistan are unpredictable this is the pakistan we know and uh, and i think that momentum carried on to the finals it was more like uh pakistan were kind of destined to win that tournament after what they uh, after the kind of match they had at edwiston and i think if the match at edwiston didn't go the way it, it went uh maybe pakistan wouldn't have won that tournament uh, so i think that was a big uh, a uh, lot of people could a lot of uh, people criticize pakistan the manner in which they lost uh, actually there's a funny incident uh, i in on my twitter page i was trying to search for that uh, tweet i couldn't find it it's hard to find old tweets by the way after the first pakistan india match i tweeted saying if pakistan are going to continue playing this old style of cricket i don't think uh, uh, they should play uh, one day cricket anymore I'd actually tweeted this, and then uh, my brother, who's uh, in the US, who's a big cricket fan, keeps taunting me about that tweet even till date. He said that the moment he tweeted that, and they actually went on to win that tournament. So uh, it was how that bad they played uh, at Edgbaston. They were playing very old school. They were not playing the modern way. And I think the first, the way they approached the first ten, fifteen overs, the, they didn't have the hitter in the end. Uh, they approached ODI cricket in a very, very uh, old school man and then with fucker coming in and slowly then a lot of changes came in and uh, things changed you know why you can't find that tweet gorov it is very possible that you have deleted it after the game <laughs> not at all it's still there it's actually a, a, a whatsapp a dp picture in a group which me my brother and my cousin is on so he still taunts me ha <laughs> <laughs> that's lovely So the first line of the preview for that match on Crickinfo which was written by a friend of the podcast and a regular on the podcast as well our colleague Andrew Fidel Fernando he writes how is it that we have got here it seems surreal in the age of skirting around stereotypes and appending norms here comes a contest almost as old as partition itself pakistani bowling versus india batting that's exactly what it is no sort of it was uh, Hasan Ali, Mohammad Amir and Jurat Khan versus Rohit Sharma, Shikhar Dhawan and Virat Kohli. Oh yeah, uh, totally. I mean it was uh, it was a classic uh, throwback to the old days of India's batting versus Pakistan bowling. And uh, I remember uh, I think uh, Monga is the one who uh, first pointed out uh, the importance of the middle over wickets and uh, and you know just a little bit of a digression like hasan ali was so important for pakistan in those uh, middle overs that tournament should have been the making of him but he's now you know i mean now of course he's injured and undergoing surgery or perhaps not I, maybe tanyal will be able to tell us exactly what's happening with him but he's sort of dropped off the radar which is such a pity you know he was he made that uh, that tournament was seemed to be his making 
but uh, he's not really kicked on from there. But yeah, it was you know that uh, Pakistan uh, bowling against the Indian batting and against the Indian top three. Uh, because Yuvraj, in spite of that uh, first match, uh, man of the match thing, he was not exactly in his prime. Uh, Dhoni uh, was already, you know, uh, had already become more of a nudger pusher rather than explosive uh, finisher, although he could still explode time to time. So it was basically the Dhawan Rohit Kohli uh, thing that was, uh, you know, driving India along and the thing was with these three was that how they never seem to fail you know like uh, at least one would always come good and more often than not two would and then there were uh, times when all three would also and uh, so that that was yeah that was pretty much india's uh, uh, the great strength and pakistan was of course uh, bowling it was yeah it was quite a classic throwback um, and it uh, gave a lot of <laughs> preview fodder for sure yeah now on to the final and I want to begin by giving props to our coverage on that day. We had a live blog that was run by Monga and joining Monga in the blog was Sean Tate, Ajit Agakar and Rahul Dravid. Now that was a power pack lineup for a blog. Uh, to the match itself, it took 20 balls for that Bumrah no ball to happen. Uh, the moment that probably defines this game for a lot of fans, particularly Indian fans. Uh, Daniel, here's where I'm at. Fakar Zaman got a life. Okay, and with all due respect, it's Fakar Zaman, yeah? It's not like India mistaking the wicket of uh, of a legend of limited overs cricket. Fakar Zaman may probably go on to have a great career, but at that stage, he was a rookie. <laughs> yeah, um, like I said, um, at the start of that uh, final, Pakistan was just as tentative, just as ordinary and and frankly, inf- look, looked as inferior to India as they did in the group stage game. Um, uh, the only significant difference, of course, was that Ahmed Shahzad had been ditched and Fakhar Zaman came in to open the batting. Fakhar, hard as it is to believe now, didn't play that opening match because the Pakistan weren't with Ahmed Shahzad. But yeah, when that uh, uh, when that no ball happened, initially there was a sense, oh, Fakhar is a wild card. He's done well against South Africa. We need him to get a good start. And then when that no ball happened, Pakistan thought, okay, we've been given a reprieve. But how how are we going to now get out of this bind that we find ourselves in? But I gen- I think India's bowling and Bumrah's bowling specifically tailed off in the next two or three overs until the end of the power play. It wasn't as tight in India, weren't as tight as they were in the first four overs. It was like the pressure had been lifted and Pakistan were able to play, play freely again in a way that they hadn't been in the first four or five overs. India actually started bowling really well, which is sort of forgotten because obviously you see a total of 338 and you, and you see the bowling figures and you think, okay, they, you know, they've all been smashed. They were smashed, but that was later. And India started quite well. And even after that first four or five overs, uh, uh, Fakhar had quite a lot of uh, not-in-control shots. I mean, I was just checking the scorecard and his control percentage is 72. I, I don't think that's very high for an innings of 114. And, you know, he had, he had I remember, one uh, gloved pull that went just over Dhoni and uh, a few shots that landed in, like, no man's land or he was not, you know, fully in uh, control of those. Obviously, in between all those, he was spanking the ball everywhere. And, uh, but yeah, so when the Bumrah no ball happened, it was like, 
you know anyway it's a good start and a wicket is around the corner how was the crowd that and, day um, was it um, 70 30 india or do you think it was more to closer to 55 45 50 50 <laughs> you know the uh, the only way i can describe it is that it was um, like 75 25 india at the start of the game and uh, 95 5 pakistan by the end of the game I think the other factor is that uh, Bumrah snowball, right? So sometimes uh, when you actually look at India's performance, people, India get blamed for not winning uh, ICC tournaments. They go all the way, but uh, when you actually look at it, the 2016 West Indies uh, World T20 semi-final, they had two no-balls. Uh, this was another no-ball. Yes, in hindsight, it's easy to tell, but uh, these are things in your control. These are things in a team's control. So both these could have been uh, game changers. And ever since that game, I don't think Fakhar has done well against India. I, I remember the Asia Cup. Uh, they they cramped him for room. They they I, I, they easily found a method to uh, keep him down. So uh, it, maybe uh, it was just like uh, I keep saying. I think it was uh, a lot to do with. Uh, india messing it up at uh, various stages in that game and uh, one more very very underrated innings is that of mohammad hafiz he's not used to um, uh, coming in that position and just coming and playing uh, hitting from ball one he played a gem of a knock i'm not sure of the exact score i didn't look it up but he scored a 50 of around 35 balls so it was uh, uh, and that's the kind of impetus you uh, you need and a lot of times this is again a stat which i've always wanted to capture and measure and see how it is whether momentum is very important in cricket does momentum really play a big role like if you finish your innings on a high does it mean that you end up doing well uh, uh, with the ball i i don't know that i haven't really captured that but this was a game where uh, the momentum was very very uh, uh, high in favor of pakistan i'm glad you bought off hafiz because uh... until i watched the game back again the extended highlights of the game i always assumed that fakhar zaman ended up batting till at least the 40th over and beyond but but that was not the case in fact it was mohammad hafiz like you mentioned whose impetus led pakistan to 338 hafiz's innings really pushed them uh, to that sort of unattainable territory in the total even though at the innings break it still there was still a question of you know yeah india's batting might and kohli in a chase and all that yeah you know it's interesting that pakistan make uh, 338 and i think even on our ball by ball comms uh, alan alan were doing it and even there the comments coming in there was like india can still chase this i mean it it, it wasn't pakistan's game by any stretch even ramiz raja on commentary was like even though pakistan have made so many runs they will have to bowl extremely well uh to restrict india gorov was india like how good was india at that stage especially that that batting lineup that every team in the world would fear them whatever the target yeah so that problem persisted for them even till uh, it's a problem more than uh, their strength i would say it's a, it's something which they had till 2019 world cup also uh, like i think saurabh uh, alluded earlier on in the pod about uh, their top 3 being so consistent Uh, the fact is every game uh, i think for a long time uh, whenever they make 300 or chase 300 one among the three or two among the three always used to score a century so uh, uh, those three were extremely strong it was the problem was actually before after the three uh, what happens uh, who does well or and that two while chasing they were even more superior they were amazing because you know how uh, how it is with kohli and you know uh, what it is to Uh, how they go about chasing targets and uh, things were very uh, smooth and easy for them in all the bilateral tournaments etc so 
uh, I think uh, if I remember right, this was 2017, right? So 2017, Jan, uh, in Jan, England had come to India for the three-match ODI series, and India chased down 350 in like uh, uh, after being 64 for four. Uh, in one of the games with Kohli and Jadav uh, uh, scoring century. So, India have done some incredible things. It's not like uh, teams just come uh, come up and chase 330-340 nowadays also. It's not that easy. England and India were obviously uh, a class apart. So, uh, it was always about breaking those top three. Uh, one thing that I also wanted to talk about, uh, you, I got to spoke of the game earlier that year. There's a precedence for India um, chasing down... Uh, a big total against Pakistan. If you remember in 2012, it was the Asia Cup and Pakistan, I think, scored 329-330. Hafiz got a century that day. That day. And uh, India lost Gambir in the first over and, uh, as you'd expect, uh, Afridi went out of his way to gloat and give him a send-off. But then after that, uh, Tendulkar and uh, Kohli, who was who was quite young at the time, struck up a partnership and then Kohli scored, had that amazing innings. He scored 183 and in the end, India chased that down, I think, with more than two overs to spare. So it's not as if Kohli or India haven't done that in the recent past against Pakistan. Um, and uh, like Gaurav said earlier that year, they'd done that against England. So the game, as Ramiz Raja said, and a lot of other people said, was absolutely not over until they'd made those early breakthroughs and then um, punctuated them with uh, getting you of Raj and Dhoni later. Hmm. Saurabh's just reminding us that that was also Sachin Tendulkar's last ODI that... Uh that he played. Uh, now, talking about getting the top three, that's exactly what Mohamed Amir did, did on, on, on that uh, evening in England with uh, Rohit Sharma, Virat Kohli and Shikhar Dhawan. Daniel, I want to point you to Amir's swinging fortunes. You know, in research for this pod, I found your piece that you had written. I don't know if you remember this piece because it, it was, I think, midway during the tournament. It was before the final or before the semi-final that you had written it. And there's one line there that just stands out even today. You said making predictions about Amir is futile. Yeah, I mean, uh, I you know, some days when you're writing and you feel like you're writing reasonably well, I, w- I felt like I was having one of those days and I thought I was writing a good piece and Usman had said, okay, so England in the semi-final, um, write something on Amir. And I wrote that and then uh, Usman said, okay, yeah, that's good, we should get this up. And then I was so annoyed to see Pakistan against England and then Amir wasn't playing and I thought, well, there goes my piece down the drain. And so I had no idea. I thought, okay, I didn't think much of it because obviously the only thing that, as you say, um, aged well was that there's no point making predictions about Amir. But then, yeah, in the final, it's just... a Ever since Amir has come back, people say, rightly, that he hasn't been the same bowler, maybe. Um, uh, But there have been occasions, and a couple of them have been against India, when in the first few overs, he just swings the ball in a way that I I genuinely don't think anyone in the world does in in the manner that he does and the impact that he has. Um, uh, He did that when Pakistan were bowled out for 80-odd in a game against India. He got Rohit Sharma, I think. He got a couple more wickets. So, in those first three or four overs, Amir had the potential to change the game, not only because he was bowling so well, but also because the swing, if you remember in that Champions Trophy, went out of the game so quickly. After four or five overs, it was done. So if you don't utilize the first two or three overs you have, um, you could face a very, very uh, hard slog against people, a batsman of the class of Rohit and Kohli and Yovraj and Thavan. So, yeah, um, uh, there's, no, there's no point making predictions about Pakistan, but it was important to get those early wickets because I don't see how else Pakistan could have had the ability to dismiss players in such form. 
also uh, with respect to mohammed amir uh, i think india have always been pretty vocal about the fact that uh, they find him pretty hard and uh, i think kohli has also mentioned that that he's one of the harder uh, bowlers to face uh, daniel can correct me i think amir got a fifer uh, in the 2019 world cup uh, against yeah. india did he Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, so generally, uh, even in the that uh, spell which uh, Daniel is talking about, uh, I think it is the Asia Cup, T uh, Twenty Asia Cup in 2016, where Ame was outstanding. That was was an amazing spell. In fact, uh, people were worried that uh, uh, India could can may not be able to chase that target. So that early uh, spell with that pace and swing is something which even Rohit struggles. He struggles a lot with Dale Stain uh, in his early on in his career. Uh, there are a lot of deliveries online. You can see of staying to Rohit. There's like uh, almost 12 balls where he gets beaten consistently. So that kind of bowling actually troubles Rohit. So I'm sure they've been very tentative about the whole thing, and they've been very uh, mentally wary about the fact that okay, let's play out Amir. That's our only focus, and then we can chase down. So India lose uh, Rohit Sharma, Kohli, and Shikhar Dhawan to Amir. Yuvraj is LBW on review. MS Dhoni is caught as well. But then, Saurabh, the Oval got ready for some pandemonium. Yeah, that that Hardik Pandya innings, I have not seen. You know, hitting up that uh, quality from Hardik at least uh, before or since. I mean, he has had a lot of uh, very uh, quick fire knocks, or even in the IPL, he got some ninety odd also. And then in, during a test match in Sri Lanka, also he really smashed it. But Uh, I found out later. I didn't have access to Cricket Post back end then, but I found out later that his control percentage was hundred in that during that innings. Uh, obviously, because uh, he got run out, so it wasn't even he was not in control of the ball that he got out. So <clears throat> that having a control percentage of hundred while scoring at a strike rate of some one eighty or whatever he was scoring at is just unheard of. It it uh, and you know it was. it was sort of nice to see that the stats back up the feeling that you got while watching it that this is just amazing clean hitting and uh, i i still think uh, india wouldn't have won the match even if uh, that that brain fade run out wouldn't have happened but definitely you know he would have uh, put on an exhibition for uh, for the people watching and he would have made it a lot closer and we would have got to because he was in that that kind of zone where you want him to just you know continue batting so when hardik pandya was run out and he had to go back to the pavilion after an excellent 76 danyal was that when the pakistan backroom staff started taking the press to their suave white jackets um yes but also this is something i've never understood and wanted someone to explain to me um there was this weird moment when it was clear that one of those two was going to be run out and uh, there's there's there was every chance that i think jadeja had to give up his wicket because pandya was striking the ball like as everyone says here and no one has ever seen him strike the ball so what happened there it was literally at one point india's last chance in pakistan because pakistan is so frightened of losing to india in those big games still thought who knows if maybe another 10 overs of this madness continues and india are 250 for 6 it's suddenly game on again so what happened there can does anyone have a better clue than i do Daniel I think even uh, Hardik doesn't have a clue because he walked back cursing all the day you, you could you could see almost steam coming out you know and and while he was walking back because I mean he made the wrong call for the run but yeah. 
once that was done, it, it really, you know, defied all cricketing sense that Jadeja can sacrifice his wicket. Uh, <laughs> and you know, so, so I think even Hardik doesn't know why that happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, it was, it encapsulated that it just had been Pakistan. They, they had been better, but it also been more fortunate because obviously they didn't do anything right to make sure that Pandya was dismissed. But yeah, that was another lucky break that went their way, obviously. Gaurav, it's amazing, but Pakistan came into the tournament ranked eighth in the world. They took a hammering from India in their first match, but then set about appending all the form and predictions to claim the trophy. Yeah, it's, uh, beauty of the game and uh, the fact is all ICC tournaments since uh, there's an interesting stat I think since 2013 we have seen uh, different winners so uh, that's pretty exciting for the game so it was good that Pakistan won that because if you see all the ICC tournaments from uh, 2013 you have I think six or seven different winners seven countries have won except uh, I think New Zealand so uh, <laughs> that's how uh, uh, competitive these uh, tournaments are and the format also gives room to such uh, kind of runs and uh, such kind of um, uh, freak uh, performances. So uh, it, it was a great game and I, I enjoyed that game a lot. And Daniel, what about the celebrations? Did you uh, manage to, were you covering that? And I remember some video of Sarfara standing in a window and uh, there was a huge uh, crowd and people were like, I, it was a, obviously it's a huge deal for Pakistan. Yeah, so um, I'd only joined uh, Cricket for I think five or six months prior. I was just following the game at that point and was around in case we needed anything, but um, I was left to enjoy the game on its own. So um, that's something that I'm thankful for. But after that, I think the hub of the celebrations was um, Karachi because obviously Sarfraz returned to Karachi and that iconic almost picture that you talk about that was from Karachi and all of the pictures that we received were from there I wasn't personally there to witness that I was there when they had the press conference in Lahore which is where the PCB headquarters are located and then um, they had that sort of celebratory mood around there but yeah um, in Pakistan there was as much surprise as there was jubilation they just did not expect that to happen not just in the final they just uh, if you remember earlier on not just against India they had such a poor game against Sri Lanka where um, uh, they really shouldn't have gone through. So, um, yeah, there was just this sort of belief that, oh, wow, I, we can't believe this happened. We don't know when this might happen again. So we are going to enjoy it. Being left to your own devices reminds me, I remember watching this match with a few friends in a pub. But now that I think about it, I was with Quick Info then as well. And uh, on such an important day for a sports media journalist, what the hell was I doing in a pub or in an India versus Pakistan match? But yeah, anyway, getting back to some, getting back to the match and the, the post-match repercussions itself. Sort of, of course, uh, this was Kumble's last assignment as uh, as India coach. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd almost forgotten that the whole uh, Kumble coach drama was also playing out in the background of all this. Um, but uh, yeah, like you said, this was Kumble's last match as the coach of the Indian team. The uh, the post match whatever post mortem stuff I don't I don't really remember too much of angry recrimination sort of thing happening because uh, by then I think it was established that yeah India may have lost the final but you know they have the making of a seriously good uh, one day side as a direct uh, fallout of that match I think. Uh, 
India went to you know Kuldeep Yadav and Yuzvendra Chahal for uh, the spin component. Uh, of course, Jadeja is back in the scheme of limited overs uh, cricket now, but <clears throat> for the the year after that, at least for la- till 2018, I think uh, it was Chahal and Kuldeep, and uh, it was thought that wrist spin is the way to go. Uh, which was also proven largely right, you know, with the wickets that these two picked up in the middle overs, which uh, India felt they were lacking with uh, finger spin. And uh, I don't know, but if Chahal and Kuldeep had been better batsmen, it's possible that, you know, even today Jadeja wouldn't have been back in the uh, one-day setup like he is now. Daniel, this was a third ICC title for the Pakistan side. Uh, assuming that the 1992 Cricket World Cup is is the biggest and the best achievement for the nation so far, where does this one rank, particularly for this generation of players and fans? Yeah, that's the key thing. Um, I think 92 is now has faded off into a distant memory for a certain generation. And for people... Um, especially people five years younger than me, maybe. Um, people will remember the 2009 T20 World Cup, and obviously that's a great memory. But then to win a global one-day tournament um, is still a big deal because while Pakistan might not win the World Cup, for a lot of people, this is the only chance they've had to watch Pakistan win a global one-day tournament. And obviously the way that it happened in the semifinals and with Pakistan, with the fact that Pakistan's bowling was so delightful, fast bowling was so delightful, there was... There was hope. There was Hassan Ali. Um, uh, there was Mohammad Ahmed later on in the final. There was a young generation of bowlers coming um, coming forward. Shadab Khan, obviously, there was this iconic moment where he uh, insisted that they go for that LBW review against Yovraj. So there was this young, exuberant generation that wanted to see um, a team reflected almost in its own image. They want they, they'd heard about the glories of Pakistan, but they hadn't really seen them. So I think in that sense, it was cathartic and important. And one more point. About this, um, a lot of people um, around this generation have heard that arguably this may be a little contentious, but arguably in the past 50 years or so, there's never been a, a sustained period where India have been better than Pakistan. Arguably, Pakistan have been better through the 50s, maybe not the 60s, but later on, even in the 80s, when India won the World Cup, Pakistan, towards the later part of the 80s, they won the Nehru Cup and they won, they were competitive against West Indies. So this this past 15 years is the first time where India are unarguably better than Pakistan. And for this generation, all that talk about Pakistan and their superior head-to-head in tests and ODIs, that doesn't really pan out in what they see on TV. So I think in that sense, it was important for Pakistan to actually see a performance that they think, okay, this can be the base for something that we want to build on. Daniel's point about the memories fading and all is valid because I was just, while you were saying that, I was thinking about how the memories of 1983 are probably fading for uh, a lot of Indians and they would put 2011 maybe above 1983. But uh, this one... uh, I, I don't know. I'll have to put it at tied with the 2009 uh, World T20 uh, win. Uh, the 2009, just because of, you know, Afridi, and he's been such an iconic player for Pakistan, and then he turns up in the semi-final and final and almost carries them to the top. Uh, but then, uh, you know, it's difficult to compare that to an iconic player uh, doing uh, lifting a trophy for Pakistan not if not by himself, but being the star in that. 
versus beating the oldest rival the most fierce rivalry in another you know final i i don't know i'll have to give them both equal weighted so they're both joint second for me gorav i'll leave the final word with you we don't know if or when we will see the icc champions trophy again so what are the fond memories that you have from this tournament i personally love the tournament it's been pretty good even the 2013 final was pretty outstanding even oh, though yeah. it was a shortened affair uh, it is a pretty good comeback by india uh, australia's 2006 and 2009 wins were very good 2004 was another epic final with uh, west indies uh, uh, the last uh, two wickets uh, winning by two wickets in the ninth wicket uh, stand of about 60 70 that was very good so overall this tournament Uh, throws up some uh, freakish performances and a lot of good memories as well. So yeah, generally that uh, tournament uh, as a whole, I enjoyed personally. I think they should continue that uh, and reduce the number of bilaterals. These global tournaments uh, are very interesting, and I would put the uh, this Pakistan win uh, uh, right up there. Uh, obviously, maybe after the '92 World Cup because World Cups are World Cups in a way, but uh, uh, somehow the T20 World Cup. Uh, Yes, uh, it was good, but I think it was at the early stage, and Pakistan had generally been a very good T20 team. So uh, that uh, didn't surprise me as much as this one did, and this was a, a thorough team effort. We, they had different uh, heroes in different games, and you need the kind of luck which they got to win big tournaments. Also, uh, if somebody says England didn't have any luck to win the 2019 World Cup, nobody's going to believe that, right? So uh, you need the kind of luck to win such tournaments, and I think. Um, Yeah, India had uh, their share of luck in the uh, 2011 semi-final. So uh, Pakistan had their share of luck in uh, this final. So I think that's how the game goes. You need that luck, and Pakistan took made best use of it. So according to me, uh, this is uh, uh, one of the great uh, wins. This has been a whole lot of fun. Thank you, Gorav. Thank you, Sorab. Thank you, Daniel, for showing some love to Pakistan's 2017 Champions Trophy victory. Thank you. Yes, thanks. Thanks, Kartik. Thanks.